Uh, let's summarize just a moment the first five chapters of Calvin's Institutes. That's what we've looked at so far. In those chapters, Calvin tells us that God has not left Himself without a witness. He gave uh, a witness. There's like a twofold witness that He's placed within every person and uh, to the fact that God exists. And uh, there's... You know, every person bears witness of that. Um, God is a God not only who exists, but God is a God who is holy. And, of course, the seed of religion expresses this God that exists uh, in natural law, you know, natural revelation, um, conscience. There's something there that uh, everybody uh, realizes. And so we see the greatness of God in creation. We talked about that last week and we passed it around different uh, experiences that we've had, and whether it be on our trips that we've had or just around the house. or uh, we, we all are very, very aware of uh, creation and how His marvels and His wonders uh, just put us in awe. And, of course, we think of His providence, and that was brought up too. And Calvin used this uh, quite frequently it's a dazzling theater. That's what we live in, in a dazzling theater. And uh, even as effective as creation is, and how much power that it shows, it still lacks power in how significant God really is. Because He really, you can't really know God. You can kind of, you can sense the power of God and. You know just how big this God is um, through creation, but we can't really know Him. We, we can't really get to know those attributes and, and uh, what He's all about. Of course, we can blame that on Adam and his sin that he gave because it makes you wonder how much we would have been able to understand God even more uh, just through the general revelation. And, you know, that's it's quite significant in that. But what we summarized it all up as is that no matter how much it lacks to tell us who God really is, it leaves everyone without excuse. And, of course, that's found in Romans 1. Uh, where it speaks of the general revelation, and everyone has been given that. Um, you know, just creation in itself, if we didn't have God's Word, can you imagine it? Can you imagine the errors that everybody would have about God and who He is and what He's about? It would be in our own minds, our own interpretations by just looking in the sky and looking at all of creation. Um, so it, it wouldn't bear good fruit if that's what it was all about. It's amazing, and we see it, and we see it in the light of this, uh, the spectacles God has given us, the Word of God. And of course, that's really where we're aiming. But uh, what we talked about through those five chapters was really natural revelation. But Calvin then goes on and then starts talking about a special gift the special gift of Scripture. And he's going to show us through Scripture that we're able to recover the knowledge of God and creation that we would have seen um, had there not been sin, if Adam had not sinned, but still yet, we would still be lacking the Word of God. So Scripture is now introduced as you get into chapter 6 and it's called a better means. Uh, it's another and better help. A special gift. That's some of the terminology that Calvin used. A more direct and certain mark. That's the kind of words that he used. And uh, He says that he enables us to see what we cannot see. As we look creation, we see that with our eyes, but still yet we cannot see by that and alone of who God is. Uh, it does not just enable us to see what would have been available to us in the general revelation, 
but it tells us a lot more. So he uses an illustration and he uses spectacles or glasses. And uh, he compares Scripture to uh, glasses, spectacles. And, of course, the, the Bible, what it does, it gives us a knowledge not only of God the Creator, because that's really what we're experiencing when we're experiencing His creation. We're basking in it and we just are in awe of that. But other aspects of God, uh, such as the Trinity. Could you get the doctrine of the Trinity just by looking at general revelation? Could you get into the very attributes of God, of, of uh, all the wisdom and power that He has just by looking at that? Of course not, right? So the uh, uh, an unregenerate person, all that they can get is a general revelation of God which is nowhere near what they must have. Uh, they just have a natural understanding, but then to us He uh, gives a special revelation. And that supplements the very knowledge of God. And so kind of what we're going to be uh, looking at and emphasizing is the Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Word of God is revealed in human language and He leaves an inner witness to His people, uh, the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, I have a prayer here Calvin had dealing with, with this topic, this subject. We'll pray. This prayer went this way. Almighty God, You show Your glory for us to see not only in heaven and earth, but also in the law, the prophets, and the gospel. And have so intimately revealed Yourself and Your only begotten Son that we cannot excuse ourselves out of ignorance. Grant that we may advance in this teaching wherewith You so kindly invite us to Yourself. And may You steadfastly may steadfastly cleave to you that no errors of the world may lead us astray, but may stand firmly fixed in your work which cannot deceive us, at last reaching heavenly blessedness that we may enjoy your glory face to face, conform completely to you. Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So, he gets into what's even much better than what we so much enjoy in getting general revelation. Now in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we know that God has revealed Himself in special ways down through the history of mankind. And in the Old Testament, we see quite a few different ways that He did. In one, one it says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. So, But He spoke to the fathers, the prophets, there were dreams, there were visions. Um, sometimes He, you know, of course you think of the burning bush. I mean, there's so many different ways that God revealed Himself. It was much more than just creation then, wasn't it? So He's a God that does that. Then there were times where He spoke audibly to people. Um, Adam. Right off the bat, early in Genesis, you see God speaking to Adam, don't you? Straight forth, audibly, where He could, he could hear it. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4, I believe it is... Just to think that He wants us to know Him. It's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? Here, in Deuteronomy 5.4, it says, The Lord spoke to you, that's Israel, face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. God spoke to all Israel. They knew it was God. God revealed Himself revealed Himself in a very glaring way. And that was a very audible way. Uh, he spoke to Moses, didn't He? And that was very audible. Let's go to our Psalms 19. And in Psalms 
19, we get those first six verses, which is really about the works of God or His natural revelation. You know, the, um, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So there is the creation of God, the, the heavens and all of His works. And it's a very glorious thing. And God reveals Himself that way. Aren't you glad that it goes much further than that though? And starting at verse 7, He goes into what is direct revelation, special revelation. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It restores the soul. That would be speaking of salvation to start with, for sure, wouldn't it? Um, the soul is in sin, and He restores it. It's His Word that does it. That's how perfect it is. Then the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, the first line of verse 7, the law is perfect. What does it do? Restore the soul. Second line in verse 7, the testimony of the Lord, there again, that would be the Word of God, is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. That reminds me of 1 Corinthians. Not many mighty, not many noble. Right? He takes the simple people and He makes them know the wisdom of God. The knowledge of God. This is what this whole first book of Calvin is all about. It's about the knowledge that God has and then how He shows us. So He makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. So we get our soul restored. We become wise. We rejoice in our hearts. The commandment of the Lord, again, another word for word, is pure enlightening the eyes. So it enlightens the eyes. We're able to see. Um, so you got the commands, you got the law, you got the testimony, you got the precepts, and it always does something. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. So you got the fear of the Lord, and of course you usually don't see that word as a as being substituted for the Word of God. But I think uh, it does show the reality of what Scripture is as um, for worship of God, fearing Him. Of course, the Word of God is, does that. Judgments of the Lord are true; they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. We're getting a lot of revelation from God just in these verses, aren't we? As He speaks, here's what it is, and here's what it does to you. Salvation. You get His wisdom. You rejoice. Your eyes are enlightened. You see where you haven't seen before, and so we see what it does for us. And it's like it's it's tasty. It's something that we can't get enough of. We keep coming back for more, right? We eat of that. More by them, your servant is warned. We're warned by it, and then if we keep His commands, then we get great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. The Word of God does all that. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my Rock, my Redeemer. So he winds up with praise and worship right at the end of that as he's been talking about here's how God shows His works and then He gives the Word. So there is a great chapter that deals with an incredible amount of information about the Word, what it does. Pretty precious, isn't it? Um, so, God reveals Himself. He then inspires men to write His Word. And then He illumines people to be able to understand that Word that is written. So you have revelation, inspiration, and what happens to us is that we are illumined. Illumined. Um, The psalm writer said, uh, enlightening the eyes. The Holy Spirit makes it come alive and and, uh, we see in this Word things that we can't see which is so great about His creation, it's much, much, much deeper. How is it that some people who are not believers are able to read and understand the depths of Scripture like some Christians do? Well, I think what the kind of understanding they may get, and they're getting an intellectual understanding in their minds, uh, and that's pretty rare when... But an unbeliever can read the Bible and can understand historical things. They can even understand some things that are written in there that seem like really spiritual truths, but they're really it's really on the surface because they can't get down. If they don't have the Holy Spirit giving them the real meaning, yeah, they can gain a lot of history out of it. They can gain some things that are... Um, really good precepts, principles. They could read Proverbs. I think anybody could probably read, you know, pick up Proverbs and pretty well go, hey, that's right. You know, that's the general principles there, right? Well, they could, but, you know, they could even look at this section that you just went through in, in this uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. They can see what God says He's going to do for us. Doesn't mean they believe it. I mean that, that they apply it to their life. But, I mean, you can read that and see what God says He's going to do. That's just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had a little testament. They saw all that. Yeah, and they interpreted they, it the way they wanted it to be. Right. They, I, I think there's a lot of people that actually believe they are Christians and they're doing because. Well, there is a surface understanding. It's what they're doing, it's not what God's doing. Have you, ever, have you ever read a how-to book? Right. And you can read it, and you can study it, and you can watch videos on it, and you can watch people do it, but until you actually participate in doing that very thing. So they know the knowledge, but they don't understand the depths of what it actually takes to live that. You know, let's say, you know, you read books about anything. So they Did she profess to be a believer? Yeah. I mean, would she say she would say she was a Christian? Yes, yeah, she would say she was. was. What was here? And Did. that I don't know. I mean, she was a good-hearted person, but again, you know, that doesn't cut it. Being a good-hearted person, I, I don't know where her heart really was. 
But I would say, from seeing some of her behaviors at work, she wasn't walking the walk. But, and when, when she died and they had a funeral, it was not a church funeral of any type. It wasn't at a Catholic church or at a funeral home or anything like that. Didn't reflect the, the biblical view of what death would be about. Well, I think she probably did because she knew this was coming. And then you can take, I, I think of the, of all throughout the United States, there's seminaries that are all over the place. And probably at least, and I'll, I'm very generous, at least half of them would be very liberal and would not even believe the Bible. But would those professors have read through the Bible? Probably so. They probably did it. Probably did it, uh, you know, growing up. Why did they get involved in uh, wanting to preach and teach? But the thing is, in most of those seminaries, and even a lot of them may not even be necessarily liberal, but those guys who have read the Bible or they know particular parts of it very well, just like the Pharisees did, of course, what you'll find out as time goes on, all of a sudden they start taking things not in a literal way, uh, they start reinterpreting it. And if they're around it long enough, eventually they will show that they don't believe the Bible anymore. They don't believe the miracles. They don't believe that really man's problem is sin or that Jesus is the only way. Uh, this is really not inspired. So that happens, I think, in a majority of the, the seminaries where you have... Uh, professional men who know throughout the Bible, but a lot of parts they don't even believe. Well, Martin Luther was a great example for years and years and years. Oh, he, he certainly knew it, didn't he? He studied and meditated and, you know, ended up hating it until the <coughs> Spirit opened his eyes. What, what happened with that guy that was supposed to go to Graham's right-hand man for years and years and years? He yeah, he didn't. It got to where he didn't want to hear anything more about it, did he? Right. But he did. <laughs> the Lord kind of worked in that. But yeah, it comes down to the Holy Spirit. So there could be, and there could be many people who profess Christianity who who have read the Bible throughout, and they're just not living it. Would you, could you ask them if they believe that this, the Bible is the Word of God? And they'd tell you, yeah. Would she have said that? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But uh, it was, And they come on different packages, but just like what we always come down to, is, and that's what we're going to be really looking at here, is it's the Holy Spirit who makes the difference now in our being able to understand the things of God because our intellectual mind can just get what is said in the words but not anything of, of the depth uh, of the meaning of who God is and what He's really about and what man is. Um, Calvin says something like this, that Scripture has flowed to us from the very mouth of God. It's a pretty bold statement come straight from Him. A lot of those professors today, when they talk about inspiration, it's not the inspiration that we're thinking of. The kind of inspiration would be that God just gave some ideas to people and then they just more or less wrote down whatever they felt and what they wanted. And, and so therefore, it was God getting things started, but it's up to them, and they're the ones who write it. And we know that that is absolutely wrong, even though He takes individuals with personalities, different kind of cultures and different kind of writing styles. He takes all of that, and this is what's amazing, God knew who that person was. He's the one that 
put made that person the way they are, yet they have their own personality, and to shape all of that, and to be able to write down exactly word for word what God wanted, but yet it's the freedom's individual to, um, right to write this, even though God is moving them to do that. That is an amazing thing. And that's why a lot of people wouldn't believe in inspiration of Scripture, because that sounds far out, doesn't it? That's the complexity of God. Huh? That's the complexity of a maker. Right. And that gets into our providence that we were talking about last week. The providence of God that's involved. So this inspiration is incredible. There uh, isn't dictation. Well, I kind of cringe when I say that. But there are parts, and very, uh, not very often, but where there is a dictation where God says to, like, write this. Um, like, for instance, to Moses. He said, and of course, this is Exodus 34. Exodus 34, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days, forty nights, didn't eat bread, drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, exactly the way that God said it. So that was a dictation there. But be real careful with that, because it sounds like, well, God just dictates what every writer is going to put down, and so they write as he would like a, a, a secretary. That's not fair, because in that scripture it says, God said, write this down. Right, exactly. <laughs> and he doesn't say Boom. that throughout scripture. Right, and, and throughout most of scripture, it's him speaking or him inspiring them. That means God breathed. Uh, they all, use their they all personalities. I always was fascinated that you know the scholars could look at these books and say, "Oh, I know who wrote that one." How do you know that? <laughs> because that's the way he wrote. Oh, <laughs> they had a certain style, didn't they? Right, right. And, and you take Jeremiah. God said, "What did he say about the womb?" And Jeremiah, and before I knew you, right. God shapes all of, per, all of our personalities that we have. God has shaped. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And so we're going to think and do the way... And He knew exactly. He appointed who was going to write what. Those guys didn't have choice, did they? <laughs> Jeremiah, you know, He said, Oh, no, you don't want me here. Right? So, um, anyway. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2. Here, here's another case here too, but this is uh, really out of the ordinary compared to most. Jeremiah 30, verse two. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, "Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. The whole days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I'll restore the fortune of the people." So there, you know, he's saying, okay, here's what I'm going to write. Uh, how about John in Revelation? He gives straight, you know. And granted, it, it, all of it comes from God, but sometimes it's just, it's real like specific. Like he is going to say these words and they're going to write those very words that he spoke. Testified to the Word of God. Uh, Revelation 1-2. Testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. And and then you keep going, and in verse eight, howdy guys. Um, Twelve. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So he, he's speaking. He's giving him these not only thoughts, but words to write down. And uh, it's kind of throughout all Revelation, all these different things that, you know, uh, Jesus, as he reveals himself to John, and write this down. So he uses individuals. 
he uses um, these personalities, the language that they have, the styles that they have, but the most common, and I think the biblical view is called verbal plenary inspiration. And that means, of course, we're dealing with every every part, parcel. All of God's Word is God's Word. Every word is. And it's inspired Word, but it's pinned down. But God is always the cause of it whenever they think of something to write down, to put down. And so the Holy Spirit uses the language, the style the context of each writer where they have been put, I think that is rather providential. I mean, I think it's rather incredible how He gave us this Word. Knowing how these... He knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't He? And He's going to... You know, certain people use certain language or, or, or certain words and the way that they put it together you can tell how different people write and he uses that and so that's uh, that's helpful as we as we think of um, the the origin of the bible and god speaking to us he, you know he could have kept doing it as he did in the days of old where he would do uh, to an individual some kind of a dream and you know just different things you know many different ways as he said in hebrews 1:1 1, 1, but here we have this. Look at Second Timothy three sixteen. This is probably one of the greatest passages on the inspiration of the Bible and the origin of it. Verse fifteen it says, From childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament, if that's all we had, is good enough. It's good enough for salvation. But, he didn't stop there, did he? All Scripture is inspired by God. There's our theonoustos. God breathed. And profitable for teaching for reproof, so teaching is what, like what we're doing now. Reproof is, you know, if, if something that somebody needs to be uh, changed in their lifestyle, God's word can do that. It's for correction, you know, getting uh, understanding, getting disciplined, uh, a lot of different things that can be done there, and training of for righteousness. Wouldn't reproof be more like uh, somebody's thinking might be maybe a miss? That you, you, you know, so some, some people arrive with different ideas, so that would be for reproof, would be to look at that and see what the Scripture would say on that thing, yep. or then for correction. And, 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 and then the, the next word comes along for correction. Of course, it's dealing with, with our lives. It's what it does. It, it's not just to read, and it's not just to study. And as Barb, as you were talking about the one lady or many, many people, they read it, they might even study it, they might even know tremendous amounts, but if it's not doing any reproving, it's not doing any correcting or training in righteousness, that word is absolutely no good to them. Matter of fact, it's 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 bad for them because they're going to be held more accountable for what is hanging over them because now they know it even better. They'll be held more accountable than anyone else because of that. Yeah, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in with the Word of God because what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if we're convicted by it, then it, it's so powerful it changes our life. And of course, we have to think about Hebrews four, twelve, powerful as a you know like a two-edged sword that cuts in there. 
And that's what we want to do. We want the Word of God to come in and change our lives, not just give us a great understanding because that is dangerous, isn't it? And it's pretty easy to do using yeah. the Bible with that of it. Yeah. Oh, you're such a loving person, are you? And then they'll go to 1 Corinthians 13. Right. That's that reproofing, but you got more reproofing the other way. So what's the reason? Just to you. I can do what I want. You oh, I just So it really is that everybody should read it as it for what it's worth and to have our lives continually be changed. Because look at verse 17. Here's the reason for it, not just to have some kind of head knowledge, but that the man of God, woman of God, people of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Adequate uh being capable of doing what we're called to do. To be able to fill that up. Equipped. We're equipped for everything that God gives us. Ephesians 2.10 talks about the good works that He has given and ordained for us to do. That's how well He knows us. And so, if we know that God reveals Himself and He then inspires writers who wrote it then He illumines us today so that we can do His work. It's an incredible thought. Here's, a, here's another thing about um, Calvin used, and I, I've said it many, many times. He describes the Bible as uh, like a, a nurse, a mother, a father. And you know when they talk to an infant, they always use baby talk. You know, we'll always talk to babies differently than we would, you know, uh, adults, right? Or, or grown children. Uh, but it is because we want them to understand. We get on their level. We wouldn't use that language with other people, but um, you, you talk differently than you would uh, other people. It's, it's a baby talker, or he called it an accommodation. To accommodate them. And so he'll use that kind of language. It not only comes from the mouth of God, but it comes from the mouth of God who is uh, who is a father with His love or like a mother or like a nurse so that we can understand. He said He stoops to talk baby with us. This whole Scripture right here, which is much more than we can eat the rest of our lives. For eternal life, we will be under, trying to understand God's Word, right? But you know what? He put it as so simple that and gives us language so that we can know who He is. Well, you just said earlier about the simple, He uses the simple-minded. So how can it be, it can't be too complex for <laughs> the simple-minded. To understand the mind of God. That reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I love that passage. Verse 16, 2.16 For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct you? But we have the mind of Christ. That is overwhelming. If you have Christ in you, you have the mind of Christ. We can think things now that we could not think before. That's the difference between one who really believes the Word and one who maybe just reads the Word because they start to think the way that Christ does. And it's because that He gets on our level and teaches us precept upon precept, line upon line, precept upon precept. And so there's certain things that maybe you don't memorize, but over the course of years, those principles and those verses they stick in your mind and all of a sudden you know you think of those you're thinking like Christ 
Whereas before you never did that. Oh, yeah. The wonderful image of God is there. You know, God says that He uh, is spirit. But how often does He talk about God's arms? Strength is in His arms. His hands. His He walks. But God's spirit, He can't do that. But why does He say that? Why does he use anthropomorphisms so that we can understand them? So therefore, he uses parables and poetry and it's just so vast. Different ways that he pictures and illustrates what he wants us to understand. So we come down to our level and he communicates with us. And anytime you open up the Scripture and what we're doing today, the Holy Spirit is just, you know, he's jogging your mind into thinking, oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, he's giving us counsel. Human language. Um, you, could, you, could, you could speak about the style of Isaiah. Isaiah is one who seems to be very intelligent and he just flows. He's quite the writer. Then you can think of another Old Testament writer and compare with with him and there can be an eloquent writer and there can be another writer who can seem kind of a little more crude, maybe a little more direct, maybe a little rough in his expression. You can think of John the Baptist, right? God uses all of those individuals and to bring that out, but it's still the Word of God. So He uses diverse styles, eloquence and, and beauty, and he uses all these different writers over thousands, what, fifteen hundred years? Just it's staggering when you think about it. So, and then to be infallible, to be inerrant, free from all error. There are some that said Calvin never talked about infallibility and inerrancy. He didn't use those terms, but I will tell you and make it real quick. Yes, he did. Believe in uh, infallible and inerrant. We use those words today. But... So, how do we know that Scripture is the authority? Well, we could use all. We could say, well, the church is the reason that the Scripture has its authority. Well, the Roman Catholic Church would tell you that the Scripture came from them, and it's their authority, and that's why the Bible has any authority at all because it really comes from them. So, uh, that's a real problem because that is not true. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 2.20, it says the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. They're writing it. The church is built upon the Word of God. It's founded on the Word of God. So, the church, uh, the, the reason that the church has any authority is because of the Word of God. It's the Word of God that has the authority. Then you have the church. So Calvin disputed that, especially at that time. But we would still dispute that today. That's why uh, the Constitution of the United States is so important, is because that is our foundation. And now that it's always being. Once it starts crumbling, yeah. people start doubting certain things, or certain things shouldn't be there. Then. When you bring up the Catholic Church, they also have their traditions, right? Right. And they conflict sometimes with Scripture. So which one do you use? Whatever the Church says. Right. And whoever the Pope says, because it changes from one Pope to the other. So it's constantly confusing. Exactly. Here's another one. How many of you believe that Scripture, the Scripture, because of all the rational proofs, and there are a lot of them, I'll tell you honestly, as much as I love those proofs and I like to use them, that wasn't the reason why I believed the Word of God was the Word of God. And I just got a feeling you guys might agree with that. Did you study all the things that all the proofs you know, like the prophecies, the miracles, 
um, you know, the apostles. Um, well, there was that whole thing about Christ's birth and all the prophecies that that were fulfilled at that right, time. Right, right. That doesn't convince anybody. And, it doesn't convince anybody. And, and, and what we're saying is that there's room for those proofs, but it, you know, when, when you really get to thinking about it, it probably wasn't those proofs that, first of all, you said, I think, I, I know the Word of God is the Word of God. The proofs are good, but that's not the sole reason why you believe that at first. What? And that would be the objective truth and and those proofs. And they do have a place. It's really mainly for us. Because after that, it was, you know, like years later, all of a sudden I saw I started seeing all of these proofs. Oh man, I, I loved it. What it did, it, it bore down on us even more. And I still to this day love those. You know, but to start with, it was really who, who are we talking about tonight? The Holy Spirit as we talk about the Word of God. You can't separate the two, right? The more and more Archaeology, I mean, it's just one after another. But the thing is, the more and more, it just shows that the Bible's always been true. It, it, you know, it doesn't have to have those, but it's just like another chink in the armor. Or the, the, but the thing is, they still ignore that if they don't want truth. But I, I like Isaiah 59 21. It says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, this is Isaiah. And my words, which I have put in your mouth, what do you have there? My spirit is upon you, and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from your mouth of your offspring. Anyway, he's talking about the spirit of God and the word of God. What is it that convinced us that the word of God is really true? It's the spirit of God. Um, you, you know, we can't see unless we have our spectacles. It's the Word of God. But if we don't have the Spirit, that Word of God still is not going to jump off the page and give us what this truth is. Yeah. You know, you know what impresses us? It's a subjective sense. 
And subjectively, you're not going to prove it to anybody either. Uh, you know, like what the Mormons say, they have a burning in their bosom. You know, and you go, what? Whoa, what? What did you eat? <laughs> but here's here's what he said. As far as, this is the subjective cure, and it's it's time to go. Scripture exhibits fully as clear evidence of its own truth as white and black things do of their color, or sweet and bitter things do of their taste. How do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? We know the Bible is the Word of God because it impresses us as the Word of God. Just as when we taste something sweet, we know it's sweet. When we taste something bitter, we know it's bitter. We read the Bible and we know it is the Word of God. The same Spirit who has spoken through the mouths of the prophets must penetrate into our hearts to persuade us that they faithfully proclaimed what had been divinely commanded, which is some of the scriptures that we have looked at there. Anyway, that's really what it comes down to, and, and we know that we're Christians because of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says that, doesn't it? And uh, 1 Corinthians 2 is, is another one. We, we, we have this mind of Christ, all that before that. We're able to understand God's Word and know it's true and every bit of it. We don't pick and choose, do we? So anyway, thank you guys for coming out. A lot of topics, you know, we've talked about so much. But historically, put yourself into the time of Calvin and the Reformers. Luther went through the same stuff and all the other guys, Bucer and guys who were putting this together. This was after a time of dark ages most people were blinded. They did not have the Word of God to read. And all of a sudden, these gentlemen, who are very gentle, actually gave truth out to people. And, and they're talking about inspiration of Scripture and, and without error and how it's inspired you know, by the, 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 to the prophets. And here it is. We talk about that today. And a lot of that's lost again, isn't it? The Reformation had a lot to do with recovering these things that were that have always been there. They didn't come up with anything new, but that really helped in getting things back to the way that it should be. And therefore, that's why I'm thankful for our Reformation. So we actually have Bibles that we can read individual. What a blessed situation it is to have that. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth, Your Spirit who guides us into that and just helps us remember why this Word is for. It's it's to mold us to make us like the person of Christ. That's really what this is all about. In Jesus' name, Amen.